Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. In the week that we saw some fruitcakes in the Bake Off tent, a slimline Simon Cowell returned with BGT Champions, and it was announced that this morning could well be an hour longer. This is Series Linked with me, Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. This is the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Coming up, I'm excited to say we're going to be chatting to Martin Freeman and Jeff Pope about an exciting new ITV drama called A Confession. Plus, a telly favourite from the past year, Emily Atak, will share her box set to watch before you die. But first, Jeffers, it's autumn season coming up. We're getting some new dramas. Let's start with The Capture, starting on BBC One this week. What did you make of this? Well, this is a Tuesday night. This is a six-parter. And it's a bit of a slow burner, to be honest with you. It doesn't really immediately pull me in. But it's another sort of crime drama. It's trying to look at a slightly different angle, I guess. There's a lot of um, CCTV and what's real and what's fake with the sort of rise of fake news. That's sort of its angle. There's only really two characters you need to know about. There's a soldier called Sean Emery. He's played by Callum Turner. And there's a DI, Rachel Carey. Holiday Granger plays her. And it's basically about an incident that happens with this soldier. He's just come out of jail through managing to get a retrial um, over some CCTV or over some footage that he's managed to prove uh, he was wrongly accused of certain things. And then he comes out and on the day he comes out, uh, basically gets involved in another incident. CCTV catches it. Yeah, very careless. (laughs) It looks like it's a cut and dry case that he's in trouble, but there's a lot more to it and it's going to get a lot more complex as we go on. So it's sort of a soldier fighting for his freedom and you've got this uh, DI, Rachel Carey, and she's trying to prove he's guilty and it's going to get more and more complex, I think, as we go on. What did you think of it? Well, I really like the first five minutes. I found that really quite exciting. You're seeing them sitting there watching all these CCTV panels uh, and then one of them, their eyes are drawn to something that happens. And you go, oh, what's going on? Kind of like the idea of that people spying on us, what's happening? And then then it all just became a bit kind of cliche to me. We've already seen Holiday Granger being a know-it-all crime investigator. We've seen that in Strike with Tom Burke. Tom Burke is the ultimate for me. She doesn't need to do it again. And I just, she just seemed to be, that character is so smug. She seems to think she's above everyone else she's working with. And I just couldn't really seem to know why I should care. I don't know. What did you think? I guess it depends who you want to root for in it. I agree with you. Um, she's She's got quite a successful career. She's obviously sort of bobbing between different departments in the police force. And it seems like if she can get this soldier behind bars, it could lead to yet another promotion. But like you say, she's not that likeable. So I'm not sure whether we're supposed to be on maybe the soldier's side. 
he's adamant that both in the first instance and the second that he's been wronged and it, it, you know he's he's whiter than white which I, th I think we're probably going to find out as it goes further along that there are some flaws and that he is perhaps slightly psychologically damaged maybe even from the war so maybe we're meant to root for him but yeah I'm a little bit on the fence I wasn't too sure who I was meant to be supporting but at the same time there is a level of interest there for me to keep watching at least for another episode to kind of see how they're going to explain what happens as I say it all rests around this one bit of footage um, which they play in parts and you sort of see towards the end of the first episode I don't want to ruin it but if you watch that right to the end then I think if you're into it and you're into a certain type of crime drama you're then going to watch at least the second one to see what happens next so it ends on a nice sort of cliffhanger it is quite slow progress and it's definitely a bit of a slow burner I don't think anyone's going to be watching this after sort of 15 minutes being like this is the best thing I've ever seen I have to say if I hadn't been watching it to talk about it today I might have given up after 20, 25 minutes. But I think if you can get to the end, then definitely it makes you want to stick around for more. So, I, you know, they've done better, I have to say, on the BBC. You expect a lot from them, uh, which is maybe why, why it didn't quite come up to what I was hoping for. Amazon Prime have got, have got a new drama, and that is very different, shall we say. Tell us about Carnival Row, Jeffers. I mean, it's a great example of a real contrast we've got here between the capture and this. This has got sort of fantasy with crime drama, with period drama, with Pirates of the Caribbean. It's madness. I mean, there is a real cocktail of everything going on in this. Again, in this one, there's only really two characters you need to worry about. It's Orlando Bloom. He plays Rycroft, a policeman who's trying to catch them, some murderers. And then you've got this quite fantastical character that Cara plays, which is called Vignette. She's a fairy. It's very fantastical. Cara's characters come from another land to this Victorian island or country where there's a lot of immigration, essentially, from the likes of fairies and stuff coming in that the locals don't like. So there is a sort of touch of present day in that sense. But you've got lots of things going on. So you've got Cara's character seems to be trying to find Orlando Bloom's character. They've obviously had a relationship in the past. You've got Orlando trying to solve some murders and some crime. You've got like a row over immigration. You've got seemingly a, a row in Parliament. Kara's character can fly. There seems to be lots of magical <laughs> stuff going on. I mean, it's... It's, it's a... so try-hard, isn't it? They're trying to tick loads of boxes. They're trying to kind of cash in on the Lord of the Rings fantasy vibe. When I heard that Orlando Bloom was in a fantasy thing, I thought, brilliant, he's going to get the plats back out. I'm into this. I love Legolas. But mm, I don't know. He's doing a kind of Ripper Street tribute act in this. He's got a bowler hat. He's walking around some mean streets, a bit like Matthew McFadden in Ripper Street. And then, yeah, he's supposed to be in love with this fairy who... So Cara Delevingne has an Irish accent in this, which I found, let's say, questionable. She insisted apparently on doing this Irish accent I was reading in the press back. I just think it's, it seems full of ego, this. It feels like someone hasn't been brave enough to say, guys, mm, you know, don't do that. This could be better. There's the sort of hub of something fairly decent there. But to me, it just didn't really quite work. This is eight parts. And I think by the end of the eight parts, I might have got my head around it. The first 20 minutes I kind of had to watch twice to really understand it. And after I did, I did get quite into it. I think I'm going to watch some more of it. Yeah, I take your point on Cara's accent, but I, I do think there's a good actress in there. I remember seeing her in a 2014 Sky Arts thing where she was really good. And I thought she had potential. And I do think there's still potential in this and potential of, in this to be really good. They've already recommissioned it for a second series back in July. So they obviously Isn't got... that just because they've got loads of money and well, they want to have the talent on Amazon Prime? I mean, this is going to be multi, multi-million pounds. If they thought it wasn't up to much, they, you know, or certainly that the story run a bit dried I think they would have killed off but there is a hell of a lot going on it takes a lot to get your head around but I think for some people maybe people who like good omens I think this is going to be one to watch
Now, a brand new drama, A Confession, begins this week on ITV1. It's absolutely exceptional. If you don't watch anything else, I'd recommend you watch this. We were very lucky to catch up with the writer, Jeff Pope, and the star, Martin Freeman. We're going to hear that interview in just a moment. But Jeff, as first, I think it's a good idea if you just set it up a little bit. Yeah, it's basically a true story. It's about a serial killer and a police officer, Steve Fulcher. And he is trying to track down the killer. And there's also two missing girls involved. It's a true story. And uh, yeah, Martin Freeman plays Steve Fulcher very well. You get a lot of emotion from the families of the missing girls. As we see as it goes on, there's a lot of controversy around the way Steve Fulcher carried out the um, investigation and a lot of fallout from that. And so, so we see all that play out as well. Fantastic. Well, here they are. This is Martin Freeman and Jeff Pope. So the next in a long line of real life dramas from you, Jeff. Start us off by just telling us how you got involved with this story and why it was one you wanted to bring to the screen. I was drawn to the story because it starts out as one thing then becomes something very different. It starts out as a thriller. A young girl's gone missing and there's a a frantic search to try and find her and the, the guy leading the search is desperate to find her alive. But then becomes something very different because of the decisions he makes and the lengths he goes to to try and save her life ultimately sets in motion a chain of events which ends with him being forced to quit the police, losing the job he loved, his career ends in disgrace. It's a profound disaster for him. In my opinion, he was one of the finest detectives probably in the UK leading up to this. And then he was, he was finished as a result of it. And Martin, why was it a role that attracted you? Well, the character himself was really interesting. I knew it would sort of be treated properly, I guess. Genuinely dramatic, but not overly so. Do you know what I mean? Like, truthful is, is really what you're after. Yeah, you want to be able to see yourself doing it, which suggests that you can, that something is within your range, but you also want to do something different. Within reason, you want to challenge yourself and keep yourself interested. I also think it's really, really worthwhile telling this man's story because my part of it is this man's story obviously there there are other stories going on but Steve Fulcher's story I think is worth hearing because like me I think when people hear it if they didn't know it before they're they're kind of outraged because I sort of couldn't believe it when I found out his story and he's very much still around and he's he's actually involved in the process of making this what are the sort of good and bad things about having someone like that quite heavily on board I guess I think Martin found it useful to be able to call on Steve as uh, as, a, as a resource and as, as a, a sounding board. And yes, I did. Attempting to play him. Yeah. But um, he was only part of the uh, picture. I mean, we I, I, I approached this f- f- from the viewpoint that I, I wasn't going to take what Steve Fulcher said as gospel and that I backed up every detail and disagreed with him in certain instances I spoke to other serving police officers who were involved. I spoke to, obviously, the families that, that were involved. There's a lot of court documentation, a lot of reports, uh, accounts of what happened. So it was a, he was part of the picture, not all the picture. And Martin, at a screening I went to, I think you talked about maybe sometimes being able to text Steve if you wanted some help on certain scenes. But I just wonder, is there a point when you're filming where you, you stop watching, say, video footage and stop reading and, and try and sort of make it a character? To, is there ever a danger impersonation? It becomes its own truism, I suppose, that actors say... It's, you know, we, it's an understanding that we have that you shouldn't do an impression, you should do a characterisation. And I think we, most of us agree with that. But at the same time, I mean, there are tiny, tiny things that I wouldn't even volunteer what they were that I think Steve does ticks and traits that I try to 
put into the performance, but not at the expense of... I don't think every, anything should ever be at the expense of the story. Do you know what I mean? So if you're getting in the way of a scene just because you want to do some acting, I think that's arse about face. You know, you've got to serve the scene and serve the story. Not to say that I don't want to do my bit. Of course I want to do my bit and I, I want to do it well. But part of doing it well is sort of getting out the way, especially in something of this style, isn't it? You know, like yeah. I would consider my job having been well done if people don't, in a way, don't notice it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, it's the same with direction as well. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's directed with a lowercase d. You know, you're not noticing it. You're just totally in, immersed in it. But unless you actually believe that something is going to turn into something else, I cannot be another character do you know what I mean I can't be another person so a lot of the time when people <clears throat> talk glibly about you became someone else well no you didn't you didn't become someone else I, I mean like, there are some people who can really take that very far and, and are brilliant but most of the time I just want to believe you for the duration of the story for the film or the TV episode whatever it is if I believe you for that hour and a half that's all you need to have done I know you care very deeply about this story both of you and you feel that Steve is a wronged man do you hope that this might be able to trigger some kind of change this drama and that it will sort of get people outraged in the way that I don't know we both were when we watched it I think it won't change in the sense that Steve's not going to become a police officer again which is a great shame because you know a couple of decades of absolutely top class experience were lost to us to Wiltshire and us um, I actually don't think it's about a change to the law that it might be that there needs perhaps some clarification to some of the provisions of PACE which is the Police and Criminal Evidence Act which is what he fell foul of in a small way I hope that people watch it and think he did the right thing and what happened to him shouldn't have happened that's about as much as I think we can hope for as I said I wasn't familiar with this case a few people who were working on it remembered it and were like, oh yeah I remember this case and I, I, I didn't I didn't know of it so when Paul sent me the initial you know sent me like a couple of interviews with Channel 4 News and stuff from several years ago yeah it's one of those things where you go I can't, I can't believe that he's, he's been properly done there and not only has he been done but it's someone you really do want him working for the state yeah. <laughs> I mean you want people like him yeah. working for us you know yeah. I'm very happy to be paying the you know the wages of people like that I mean not only are there not enough coppers we all know this now I mean that's not even a particularly political thing to say there are not enough police on the ground mm. you're going to get rid of good ones as well yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, um yeah. it's a uh, a very dodgy road to go down, I think, for us as a society. And is, is that why, you, I guess, you chose the role, Martin, just because of um, Steve Fulcher, the, the sort of character he is? Because this, this also, it does sort of feel quite different from a lot of police drama. There's a lot of police and crime drama on it. I'm sure you've been offered lots and lots of stuff post-Sherlock as well. What was it about this one that, that was different? Well, it, there was a sort of understatedness to it, I guess. Because, like with the two mothers in real life and in our drama, they, they don't walk off into the sunset together and become best mates, you know. There, there's something slightly, as in life, there's something slightly underwhelming about it sometimes, slightly anticlimactic about it. You know, Steve Fulcher isn't diehard. You know what I mean? Like, he's a, it's a very regular, normal, but brilliant English copper in the true sense. He's not heroic. Because most heroic people, you know, talk to anyone in the military, they don't think they're heroes. You know, we do. We think they're amazing. But they think, you know, what they do is their job. I was attracted to, as I say, you know, you, you're attracted to the, the team, you know. And to be honest, you know, Jeff and Paul are, that, that's an enticing thing. Partly because you, it's not going to be massively sensationalised. You know, you don't need to sensationalise this stuff. You know, it deals with abduction, murder and injustice on all sorts of levels. And you know, that's, that's all terrible enough, you know. And so I wanted to 
part some of the stories I like telling and part of the way I like helping to tell stories is by getting to the truth. Of, I mean, this is, sounds like a very, very obvious thing to say, which everyone would have a T-shirt and a badge of. But you, you want to get to the truth of something and telling the truth in an, in an honest way and not lying to an audience. And I think that this show hopefully does quite a good job of not lying to the audience about what happened. And Martin, can I ask you, I was massive fan of The Office, the first show I ever got totally obsessed with. Thanks. And I remember your, your interviews at the time, you were saying, I don't want to be typecast as Tim, I'm much more than that. And at the time, as a teenager, I was like, oh, but you're Tim, sort of thing. Yeah. And then, but then you've done so many different things, you know, Fargo and Sherlock and, and The Hobbit and so many different things. Has that been a concern throughout your career to make sure everything, the next thing is different? Uh, yes, partly. I mean, I, think, I guess because when I was 30, I didn't want people when I was 60 to still be going, oh, you were Tim, you know, I felt something would have gone wrong there. Your, my working life wouldn't have been as full as it might be. So, yeah, thank God I'm, I'm very pleased that I've been able to do other things that have resonated with people. And again, it's a combination of directors, writers, you know, just being part of telling stories that people like. That is a, an absolute true joy. You know, I mean, that's the entire point and the entire dream of anyone's life. You know, like anyone in the performing arts is like you, you want to be part of telling great stories that you know make people laugh and cry and do do everything else so yes i'm very pleased to be able to say because now of course i meet a lot of people way too young for the office <laughs> who sort of don't really know about the office so it's it's nice that they go oh you're in that as well and the, but they like other things so yes yeah, so from, from that point of view i feel sort of safe it's the key kind of variety as well because you, you do something like this and then next year you're going to do breeders or yeah. cut one of your own comedies obviously yeah. going to be entirely different from this so is, yeah. is is that variety the best thing yes that's part of it yeah I mean because I think every actor would tell you you know they, they don't no one of course wants to be typecast in any job we do even in such a positive way because you've had of Tim course. and Watson's no, such I, huge roles no, abs they? absolutely because they know you're the same person playing a part they go oh yeah and, they, and they, so they work backwards and they go oh yeah and this is like that and that's like well yeah it's the same bloke doing it but I had to take people to type if you like if, if you think that my performance and I'm not saying this about you but when people have implied that my performance as Tim and my performance as John Watson are the same thing then you need to and check your radar, you know, because I'm not doing the same thing. You just know it's the same bloke doing it. You are playing different things, but sometimes if you're not doing a limp and an accent, people don't, you know, people think you're just being you, you know. And Jeff, you're gearing up to work with Sheridan again. Can you tell us a bit? Yeah, that's about a, that? That oh, we really? finished film. And Stephen Merchant oh, speaking. Really? Yeah, Stephen plays a true life serial killer. It wasn't one I wrote, so a great colleague of mine, Neil Mackay. And we fit, we're just editing on that. It really, it's a story about how the police didn't take seriously the murders of these young gay men. And the appalling realisation that a number of them needn't have died if they'd gone about their job properly in the, in the first instance. It's not quite... It's not the, it sounds like I'm constantly attacking the police. It's not the same kind of issue that we highlight here. But it's, yeah, it's a very powerful story and Stephen Merchant plays, he, he must have played others but it's certainly one of the bigger straight roles that Stephen's played and uh, he, he's brilliant, he plays Stephen Port, a um, guy that was convicted for the murders of these four young men I know everyone's very intrigued at the thought of him as a serial killer. I mean, it's the opposite of what you're saying about typecasting. I don't know if you saw any of the serial killer when you were working with him on The Office, but he's, <laughs> he's um, great to work with. Very straight, right on it, right from the beginning. Knew he wanted to do it, which is, which is great. Could you ever work with those guys again, Martin, at all? Stephen or Ricky or anyone? Do you, do you watch things like Afterlife? Or do you, yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, I, I watch their work, yeah. And I, I, no, I, I really, I like 
their work and I think they're I think they're brilliant you know and, and they were part of a time in my life that was easily one of the happiest times of my life we had Ricky on the show and he said that kind of stuff in some ways that moment of time is gone you couldn't if you tried to bring any of that stuff back it wouldn't oh I agree yeah I mean no I, I totally agree yeah things are meant to pass aren't they do you mm. know what I mean like, uh, things are meant to have their their time I think and you run into trouble I think we, we run into trouble I think as a culture at the moment because we are constantly trying to keep everything on the back burner and go we can reheat this again and it's like actually just let some things go you know because that's why DVDs were invented you can just watch it again if you like it speaking of which the final question is always what do you watch when you're not doing your own stuff what do you like to watch I've just enjoyed Chernobyl just I love Chernobyl. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Handmaid's Tale is one yeah, we're really watching good. at home. Trying to get into Killing Eve, not enjoying it as much as first time round. Agreed. First um, series was great. There's one other series. Phoebe, Phoebe's not written the second series, I don't think. It's Fleabag was amazing. I yeah, think. Fleabag. Fleabag was genuine. I thought that was different class. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Steve, Stephen Graham's piece that Shane Meadows did. Oh, the, the Virtues. The Virtues. The virtues. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed, been enjoying that as well. Yeah, they're no slouches, are they? Yeah. yeah. I marvel at how viewing habits change. Because I'm not sure, you know, probably another 10 years, will there be big terrestrial mm. series like this where you're watching it every Monday or, you know, whatever the transmission pattern is? Because certainly from the time when we had, my wife and I had young children, you kind of create your own peak, which might be half past 10, that you suddenly start watching yeah, yeah. an episode of something on a box set, don't you? Yeah. And then... You know, yeah. then two days you can't watch anything, and then you might have another. You know, I actually really like that. I like the thing of um, just thinking, okay, I've got, I can watch all eight episodes of something tonight if I want to, or mm-hmm. I can, you know, stop halfway through and then pick up at that point tomorrow night. That's driving our viewing habits now. But um, there's still nothing, qu- nothing quite like though a big terrestrial drama that brings everybody together. Mm-hmm. Just like a confession, expertly done. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Martin and Jeff. You can see A Confession Mondays, 9 o'clock on ITV. And of course, it's on The Hub as well. Well, it wouldn't be a TV podcast, would it, if we didn't mention the Great British Bake Off, which just returned to our screens. How do you think it's going, Jeffers? Well, yeah, started off with a peak of 6.6 million. So I think that the appetite's definitely technical. I like it. Still there, yeah, yeah. (laughs) My only concern initially was whether they'd gone a bit too young. It's the youngest group of contestants of all time. People have made quite a big thing of that, and I didn't think it would really matter at all. But then watching the first couple of episodes, I do sort of miss almost like a pensioner or a couple of older characters in there. I think that might have helped them mix a bit more. But I guess that's down to Channel 4 and who they think the audience is. But generally, I think the, the process, the... The format is pretty bulletproof. I enjoy it as I always do. Um, the second episode this week, there was a few more things that went quite wrong in, in its biscuits this week and a few of the biscuits went totally wrong. And I, I, To be honest, I quite enjoy it when it goes wrong. I don't know about you. So yeah, I think it's as solid as ever, really. What, what about yourself? I agree with you about the contestants. It's annoying me how much effort they're going to with their outfits and their makeup and their hair. There's one girl who looks like she's you know, spent hours and hours you know, making herself look stunning. And she does look amazing, but that's not what it's about. You know, It's supposed to be about just having fun and baking and... I don't know, it just sort of irritates me a bit. But yeah, I like the fact that they've scaled back the challenges a lot because some of the challenges in previous years have just been too much. I don't really understand what the finished product is supposed to look like. So when you're following it through, it's really difficult. Uh, Whereas, you know, fruitcake is disgusting. I don't know why anyone would want to eat it, (laughs) but I can understand what it's supposed to look like in the end. So that I found better. I haven't really got a favourite yet. There's no sort of Rahul who, you know, last year from the very beginning, I was like, yes, you're my guy. But I think it's going to be a good vintage. They've got some interesting themed weeks. They've got a 1920s week coming up. A dairy week, which I kind of just thought all baking is 
dairy unless you're specifically trying to avoid it and a festivals week so interesting to see what they make of that but something coming back that we do want to talk about is celebrity master chef which a-listers are going to be getting their aprons on this series jeffers well, there's some good names just to start off with. We've got the likes of uh, Neil Ruddock, who was on that ITV relative Razor. show recently. Yeah, um, Joey Essex is in it. Um, we've got fashion designers Andrew Rhodes, so and OT from Strictly. So there's quite a good even in the first episode. There's there's a good fresh sort of lineup. Do you think that no, I just think Joey Essex? Are we not over Joey Essex by now? There's a bit where he doesn't understand that time is a herb and he gets them all wrong and I'm like oh it's, I'm sort of bored of that act already what's the other thing he said oh I thought only a sausage factory can make sausages oh shut up Joey I'm done well the one that struck me was Greg Rutherford he's in it he's also I think at the moment swimming the channel for Channel 4 reality show and obviously we had him doing the pilgrimage before as well <laughs> so I think it's fair to say he is a reality show contestant for hire there but I do think aside from those people I take your point there are some good people like Xander Rhodes I've not really seen her do something like this before and um, Neil Ruddock actually can cook a little bit which surprised me OT not the strongest cook I think she has to be bad at something yeah she I mean obviously a fantastic dancer and she sings a lot in this she's sort of singing in between cooking and stuff so that's quite good I think there's quite a good mixture. There's probably trying to get something for everyone. And with Celebrity Masterchef, there's so many contestants that they need. There is that sort of point where I guess they've got to get some of these reality stars and these people that do a lot of these shows just to sort of meet the numbers. But I think by the time you get down to the final, you'll get the, the standard's going to be quite high. I'm really excited to see Ian Beale. I mean, he's probably not going to be in character while he's doing it. But, you know, he owns a fish shop, so he's going to be brilliant. He is actually, I think, going to be a really good cook. I know that he's really into his posh food and restaurants. He tweets a lot about it when he goes out and eats at Michelin star places. He's a great example, actually, because he doesn't really do reality. He doesn't really do anything outside of EastEnders and playing that character. So it will be really nice to see him cook, but also maybe see a bit of his personality. We don't really know that much about him. We've been watching him for decades on screen. So it's going to be great to see what sort of person he is. Why do you think it's still so popular, MasterChef? It's insanely popular with all its different versions. I think it's just like with all these shows, we're talking about Bake Off as well, 10 years in now, pretty much as popular as ever. There is a real appetite, oh, terrible thing to say, but there is a real appetite for these kind of shows, the cooking shows. If they're good and the format's quite solid, people enjoy them. And there's also something to be said for people. They sort of like what they know. They, there's a format there. They know roughly what they're going to get. Obviously, each week there's different food, different recipes. So I think it's formulaic enough so that people know what they're going to get. But there's enough mixture and enough different foods for them to still carry on watching. And Greg just gets excited every time. Greg got really overexcited at this one. <laughs> He's sort of trying to like sidle up to different people and be mates with them and coming out of all these sort of like different lines as if he thinks he's he just thinks he's their best all their best mates and you've got John being a bit more professional cringing in a corner yeah I know because they obviously do a lot of their stuff separately and you, I think John probably just wants a bit of a break down here and let's, <laughs> let's Greg go off and speak to the contestants and then he has, a, has an hour to sit down and sort of calm down and then they get back together for the tasting Now it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last time, comedian and presenter Joel Domit finally put Fleabag on the list. What Yay. took everyone so long? And this week, it's the turn of his new co-host of Singletown, Emily Atak. Let's have a listen to her choice. Hey everyone, it's Emily Atak here. The box set that I think you should watch before you die is Breaking Bad. Chemistry. It is the study of change. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. Well, we love you, man. We love you. Everybody, the world. 
one of the best things I've ever seen. It was the first box set that I'd ever watched where I would, I would literally rush back from anything I was doing to watch the next episode. It's so addictive. You understood what I've just said to you? Yes. Lung cancer. Inoperable. A substantial amount of methamphetamine being taken off the streets. Hank, how much money is that? Uh, it's about 700 grand. It's easy money. Why don't you say the word and uh, take you on a ride along? Acting is absolutely incredible, and Ob's had a huge crush on Aaron Paul, who plays Jesse Pinkman. If you and I could partner up, you know the business, and I know the chemistry. Breaking Bad. That was the one before the days of Killing Eve, where everyone was like obsessed with it. It's definitely one to binge if um, you haven't seen it. I'd be surprised if there's many people listening who haven't watched it, though. I haven't seen it. Okay, well, (laughs) you've got a lot ahead of yourself. It's five seasons, 62 episodes. Yeah, it's basically about a chemistry teacher turned drug dealer, Walter White, played by Brian Cranston, and he teams up with Aaron Paul's character as well. And yeah, and there's all sorts of crazy chaos ahead, so you've got a lot to look forward to. Um, It was really, really popular and obviously very successful as well. 16 primetime Emmys. Yeah, and it's, it's all still there to watch on Netflix, so it, it, it's, it's definitely one to go for. But people tell me that it only gets good sort of midway through series two or whatever. I haven't got that kind of time to waste. Like, Do you think it takes a while to get going? I, I enjoyed the first couple of series, but I think, as with all these things, different people like different parts, and some people say it went off a bit at the end or went a bit flat in the middle. I think it's definitely worth... Uh, you definitely need to invest say, for five or six episodes to properly get into it. But then I think once you're into it, as Emily says... Six hours before I'm into it. No, I think you'll enjoy it before then, but I think, you know, to get really involved and then you'll be like Emily, running back and binging sort of four or five episodes. I don't run anywhere. (laughs) Okay, right. That's a good one then. You can catch Emily hosting ITV2's brand new dating show, Singletown, alongside the aforementioned Joel Domit, Mondays on ITV2 and, of course, on the ITV Hub. And Breaking Bad, Netflix, Jeffers? Netflix, still Netflix. All on Netflix. There yeah. you go. And there'll be another box set to watch before you die next week. That's almost it for this episode of Series Linked. But we can't let you go without the best bit. I know, I know you're waiting for it. Jeffers, you need to tell us what we're going to be watching, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Kick us off with next week. Next week is the launch of El Corazón de Sergio Ramos. What? I've, what is this? I've got the accent perfect there. It's, a, it's like Rafa Nadal is sitting next to me. It's a big series on Amazon Prime Video. It's all about this Spanish footballer called Sergio Ramos, Real Madrid, Spain captain. It's really good. He's a bit like a Beckham of Spain, really, and you get a real insight into his life, some quite funny stuff. How he met his now wife through basically sliding into her DMs and messaging her loads of times until she came agreed to go on a date. Lots of like funny in, in, info like that. So that's, I mean, you've got to be probably quite into football, but I think that's quite a big series for certain people. If you don't fancy that, that supermarket sweep is yes, back as well. Yes, now we're talking. This is proper telly, yes. Ryland's hosting that weeknight, so ITV2 at 8pm. Bring it on. Next month. Next month, we've got all four parts of the Sky uh, drama, Catherine the Great. They're all going to drop on October the 3rd. This is uh, the big new thing with Helen Mirren starring in the, in the lead role. And it's about uh, Catherine the Great's later years and a passionate affair that she had as well. So I think that's going to be pretty good. Anything with Helen Mirren is good by me. And next year. Next year, I2 have actually announced that they're going to do a sitcom. Which, what? Uh, but they weren't commissioning any They weren't comedy. doing any sitcoms, but they are doing a brand new six-part sitcom. It's called Kate and Colo. It's going to be on in 2020. Brenda Bleffen is taking the lead role of Kate. And uh, there's a theatre and film actor called Jimmy Akinbola, and he's taking the role of Colo. He was in Holby City. Was he? Yeah. Well, he's going to be in this as well. Kate and Colo centres around a working-class woman who runs an old-fashioned cafe in a neglected seaside town, and she de- develops a strong, if sometimes volatile, friendship with an asylum-seeking African doctor. So that's going to be his part. And this is all coming together in 2020. 
Sounds controversial for ITV. Them doing a comedy is quite controversial, so I'm, I'm keen to see what's going to happen. I look forward to it. Right, thanks, Jeffers. That's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. This has been the Series Linked podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go on, do us a favour, leave us a five-star rating and a review. We'd really appreciate it. It'll take two minutes. And make sure you've subscribed as well so you can catch the next episode when it drops on Tuesday morning. For now, though, bye-bye. See you next week. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.